Take your Bibles now and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, as we close this morning with some thoughts from the book of Ephesians. I better resort to my glasses. Oh, much better. Much, much better. All right. When I was going the bike trail every day, every day uh, uh, taking my, my work with me, I, um, I bought a couple little Bibles so that I could go up to the Hyapau Falls and I could work on sermons and Bible studies after riding an hour up and riding an hour back and got these two really nice, really small print Bibles that were compact. And uh, at that time, I had an appointment with one of my doctors, and he said, well, you're 50-something now. He says, he says, I want to tell you what's going to happen. He says, you're going to start having problems with your eyesight. <laughs> I says, no, I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him. But uh, those Bibles, I've got to just say to you, i just got to be honest with you, uh, they practically did me no good after I heard that. Because right on target, he, he, this guy was able to give me a time frame on when I was going to have certain aches and pains. He says, yes, and by this age, you're going to have this and this and this. And I, I of course, poo-pooed it all, and uh, it has pretty well come to pass, exactly as he described it. But anyway, God is very, very wealthy. Now, I don't know how you feel when I use that term wealthy. Maybe I ought to use the term riches. He's rich. He's richer than anybody that you and I know on this earth. I love the passage of Scripture in Psalm 50 where the Bible says to us that um, God says, I don't need anything from you. If I, if I need a burnt offering, I'm not going to come to your farm and get it. If I need a goat, I'm not going to come to your fold and I'm not going to get it because every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. And if I were hungry, I wouldn't come to you for food. I don't need that. I don't need to get it from you. For the world is mine in all its fullness. Well, I share that with you because... One of the things that you come across in the book of Ephesians, which is in the daily Bible reading for this week. So turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We'll give you as quick of an overview as we can of the first couple chapters. The thing you're going to come across is the fact that not only is God very wealthy and rich, but we are the recipients of His wealth and His riches. You say, oh, I know that. Well... Think about it the way God wants you to think about it, okay? Now, I want to share this with you. In Ephesians chapter 1, just so you don't think that I'm out of line by using terms that we tend to associate, you know, we throw out the word money and riches and, and we throw out the word wealth and all of that, we tend to think that uh, uh, and this has nothing to do with the wealth and wealth gospel or anything like that. But we tend to think those are kind of negative terms. Uh, those are not spiritual terms. And I, 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 I can, uh, you know, there, there, there are certain people who look at the Bible and look at all of the wonderful blessings that God has promised to us, a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, in looking at that, want to totally spiritualize it all and say, 
Oh, I, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's kind of carnal. It's kind of human to think of wealth and riches and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And I say, well, God's the one who said that the streets of heaven are paved with gold, not me. God's the one who says it. All right? See, it's the context that's important. So in Ephesians chapter 1, just to bring it to your attention, in Ephesians chapter 1, at verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the what? The what? The riches of what? His grace. God is rich in grace. In verse 18, jump down to verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the what? The, everybody together, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's pretty cool. Chapter 2, verse 4. But God who is what? Rich in mercy. Wow, he's rich in grace, he's rich in mercy. This is good stuff. Verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding what? Everybody together. Riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Shall I continue? Well, let's move on. Let's move on. Another word that we come across that kind of is related to that is the word inheritance. If you're reading the daily Bible reading, you'll come across the word inheritance several times in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 11, you're going to come across it where it says, In him also we have obtained what? An inheritance. If you've ever been a recipient of an inheritance, it's an exciting thing, even if it's five bucks. Right? It's exciting just to know that somebody thought about you. Not only that, but you're going to run across the word inheritance in verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of what? Our inheritance. Shall we continue? I don't think we need to. Let's go back to verse 1. Ephesians is a very difficult book to digest. For example, let me read the first part of chapter 1. Let's get through the greeting first. Sometimes we forget about the greeting, and they are extremely important. Because Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from who? God our Father and who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be who? God the Father of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I, I see, I, I share that with you because when you look at Ephesians chapter 1 and you look at all that God tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to have to look at how, what God specifically does what his functions are, you have to look at what Jesus' functions are, and you have to look at what the Holy Spirit's functions are. All three are God. God is one. 
Don't ask me to explain it. I would be as smart as God if I could. I think people try to explain too much about God. Accept what the Bible says. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all fully God, yet different functions. They all love, they all think alike, they all have the same attributes, but there are certain functions that each perform. And so in this passage of Scripture, when I said that this is difficult, I, I want you to look with me at the first six verses, of, well, verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and uh, I want you to look at these first few verses for a second, and I want you to see where the period is. Look at first verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, comma, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, comma, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, comma, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, comma, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, comma, according to the good pleasure of His will, comma, to the praise of the glory of His grace, comma, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. First period. And some older translations may suggest that the sentence really should go on further. Now that's an English teacher's nightmare. How would you like to go to English class and the teachers say, we have a sentence that we want you to look at today, and it is uh, equivalent to six verses of Scripture. I, I don't know about you, but I, I am not the smartest person in the world and never pretended to be. I was told too often that I wasn't, so I knew it. <laughs> Not that I wouldn't like to have believed that I was, but I've been put in my place many, many times, and rightfully so. But the thing that I have always thanked the Lord for is this. Lord, I have to really dig into Scripture. I have to read it over and over and over again. I have to study it carefully if I'm going to get anything out of it. I will never be a candidate on what's that show, uh, Jeopardy? No, is it Jeopardy? What's the, what's the show where they have the... Is that what it is? I don't think I'll ever be a candidate on that show. And number one, I can't think that fast. And number two, I don't know that much. But I've always appreciated the fact that I've had to struggle to understand what the Scriptures teach. So I know a little bit about what you've got to do with a passage of Scripture like this when you want to try to figure out what it means, you see. You simplify it. You break it down. And since it begins with these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, I take that as my cue that this starts with a series of blessings. Now, I'll never exhaust them. Paul doesn't even begin. He gives us a few. But I have a book in my house where I have counted over 250-some spiritual blessings that God gives to us. Now, here's how I break it down. Give you an example of how I break it down. So I'm focused on verse 3 where I realize that God gives to us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. 
And then I say, okay, God, if you're the one doing it, I'm going to look for all of the action words to describe what you do. So when I read verse 3 and I go into verse 4, where it says, just as he chose us, I say, okay, so God, the first blessing is you start the fountain of blessings. You start the artesian well of blessings. You start it with choosing us. And I don't worry about what's next, because next he's going to describe for us the reasons behind that, how he did it. He did it before the foundation of the world. He did it out of the good pleasure of his will. But I'm just looking for the action words. And once I go through the action words and understand that God chose me, he predestined me, he made me acceptable, and he redeemed me, and then Jesus redeemed me through his blood. When I go through all of that, I have a better idea of what the passage of Scripture is like. But I don't ignore all the other stuff. I go back. I go back and I look at it. I go back and I look at it. And I study it very carefully. In fact, the reasons for everything God does are more important to me than his actions. Because I want to know why God does what he does. And this is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now, don't ignore the reasons. It kind of reminds me, there's another book over here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that has a verse that says, I, Paul is writing and he says, I can do all things to show you why this is important, that you've you got to be thorough. There was a preacher, and, and you've heard this before, I'm sure, in 40-some years I've shared this before, I'm positive. There was an old preacher who stood up in the pulpit and he addressed the congregation and he said, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, everybody. And he looked and he read, I can do all things. And he took his old glasses, he was a gray-haired guy, and he took his glasses off and he put them on the pulpit and he says, Paul, I challenge you. You can't do all things. The audacity to suggest that you can do all things. Well, it's out of context, right? Because what does the rest of the verse read? Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I hope I've not lost anybody at this point. But I know that if I were talking to the world about spiritual blessings, they wouldn't have a clue as to what I'm talking about because all they're focused on are the physical blessings, you see. All I'm focused on is a warm house, a nice car, a great job, a paycheck, uh, some comforts of relaxation and recreation. These are the things that matter to me. And I know that if this were the focus for unbelievers, people would be scratching their heads. It kind of reminds me of, and we're not too far away from Christmas, so I can use a second illustration from uh, It's a Wonderful Life where George Bailey was losing it. Anybody watch there? I guess one reason I like that movie is because it's so human. It proves how human we can be. Here's George Bailey, a very kind, generous, compassionate guy who's losing it. He's losing it because he's focusing on the fact that his chips are down. 
And halfway through the movie, he starts to talk to a guardian angel that has been sent to him. And the guardian angel, and he asks the guardian angel if he has $8,000. You, you know the film, right? Everybody knows the film. And the angel says something like, well, we don't use money in heaven. And, and George Bailey says, well, it sure helps down here, you see. Focused on the physical blessings, you see. By the end of the film, as you know, two things show up. A reminder in a note that was written in a book. Uh, Remember, no man is a failure who has friends. And the second reminder is when his brother comes in and his brother says to George, everybody together, the richest man in town. Because the focus changed from the physical blessing to the more important blessings. So I hope we're not losing anybody here. I would think that that would not be our case. But here's the thing that amazes me about what Paul says. See, Paul says, he starts outlining these spiritual blessings. He gives us about three or four. There's actually about 17 in there. But three or four really stand out. And then in verse 15, he says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, verse 15, now he's talking about what he's doing now. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. You see, apparently the Ephesians don't fully understand the spiritual blessings they have. Have you ever been in a situation where you had something and you didn't know you had it, and here you were living in a way that was ignoring the resource that was there for you? Have you ever had that happen to you? The most pitiful situation I ever had was when my family and I were down at Disney World, and we were walking by the monorail um, there at uh, one, of the, one, of the, um, one of the monorail stations. This was pitiful. And I saw an Asian family there. There was a mother and a dad and several little kids there. And they looked really concerned and really puzzled. Now, to be there, they obviously paid for their tickets to get into the park. But you could tell that they were a little concerned because they were looking at what to do about transportation. They were looking over at the, uh, the ferry boats and trying to figure out what that would cost. They were looking up at the monorail, in which they seemed like they wanted to take the monorail, but they were trying to figure out what that cost. And when I figured out what was going on, I walked over to them and I said to them, I said, you don't need to worry about any of this transportation. It's all included in your tickets. And this big relief comes across their minds. You know, like, we can actually ride that without paying to get on there. Like, we have enough money to do anything extra than get the tickets, right? But I, I, what I really, and I was glad, I was glad I was able to say something to them. Because uh, imagine the blessing of having transportation and not knowing that it was there for you to use anytime you wanted without paying for it extra. Well, what does Paul do to help them to appreciate their spiritual blessings? 
What does he do to get them excited about their spiritual blessings? What does the Apostle, Apostle Paul do to get them to stay on board with their spiritual blessings? I'm convinced that one of the reasons why a lot of us as believers kind of go by the wayside from time to time and we get disinterested in, in, in our relationship with the Lord and disinterested in spiritual things and we stop reading the Bible and we stop going to church. One of the reasons why is we're no longer excited about the spiritual blessings that God is providing for us. We're no longer excited about it any longer. The first thing God does, the first thing Paul does is he prays for them. In verses, and, and just look at this, just bring it to your attention here. He prays for them, and here's what he says to them, and I'm just going to pick the heart of the prayer out for you. He prays for them, and he says, listen, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You need to know a lot more about him. You need to understand God better. And these are the three things that I want you to know. I want you to know what the hope of his calling is. Do you see it there? I want you to know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is. And I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. I want you to know all about the hope that's ahead of you. I want you to know all about the riches of his grace and his mercy. I want you to know about the greatness of his power toward us. You know, there was a bold Christian one time. He was talking to um, he was talking to uh, a, 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 he was talking to an unbeliever, and the unbeliever was kind of priding himself in the fact that he was kind of a self-reliant guy, and he could do what he wanted. And 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 and, and this Christian dude that this guy was kind of uh, he was involved in some sins that he just struggled. Now everybody struggles with sin, even believers do. We all do. We all do. But God promises that there's a solution for us. The only solution for the unbeliever to his sin is for him to come to Christ so that his sin can be forgiven and then he can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to eradicate that sin, you see. But the unbeliever said, well, you know what, I... And the, and the, and the believer said, well, what about, what about this? You can't do anything about that. You keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and you don't have any victory and you, don't, you can't do it. He says, the difference between you and me is, if I want to do that, what you're doing, I can choose to do it. I have to choose to do it. But I have the ability to choose not to do it either. See what I'm saying? I can choose to do it, or I can choose not to. You can't. You can't. You're bound by that. Which leads me to the second thing the Apostle Paul says. The second thing that the Apostle Paul does in order to help them to appreciate the spiritual blessings. I want you to see it, but I'm going to read through this to get to that spot. He says, I want you to know the power of his might, which he worked in Christ. Oh, let me just, 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 just abbreviate it. What he does in the next three verses, he talks about the power of God in the life of Christ. And all you have to do is look at his resurrection. And you'll say, wow, there's some power there. 
But then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, and guess what? He's done the same thing with you. You talk about the power of God. Look at what he's done with you. You've been dead in trespasses and sins, and God has powerfully raised you to spiritual life. You ask someone who's really struggling with an addiction or a sin or a problem, believer or unbeliever, especially unbelievers who just have no hope, who are without God and without Christ in the world, you ask them how much of a, how, how, how much of a struggle that is and how, how much they bothered by that and how much they, they're just agonizing over it. And they'll tell you it's a, it's, it's a big issue. It's huge, and I wish I didn't have to deal with it. Second thing the Apostle Paul does is he takes the past, he he rehearses, he goes back into the past, revisits it with the Ephesians. Look at how he does it in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And i got to move pretty quickly here. In which you once, he says, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you what? Everybody together, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, all I need to do is read those two sentences and I know what the problem is. In Galatians, he talks about being delivered from this present evil age. In Philippians, he talks about this crooked and perverse generation. In Colossians, he talks about the power of darkness. All of those refer to the same problems. If I am sucked into the course of this world and I'm living my life as if I'm going along with the flow... I am probably under the power of the prince of the air. I'm under the power of darkness, and I will do what verse 3 says. We all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So not only do I can't get out of my sin, but I've got this horrible burden over my shoulder telling me that you're going to have to pay for them one day at the judgment. Verse 12. At that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. Lots of theology there. We won't get into it. But the last of all, he says, having no hope and without God in the world. But that's not you guys. If you want to appreciate the spiritual blessings, you have to realize in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, this is just jam-packed. There's no way in the world I can even get close to analyzing this in any short period of time. It's just impossible. It's just impossible. But let me just say this to you, a couple of real quick comments, and then, then we're done. Um, You and I need to take seriously what the Apostle Paul is saying there, and we need to pray with Paul that he would show us the hope that's ahead of us in so many ways, the riches that are provided for us, and the exceeding greatness of his power in our lives. And then, and then, verse 11 of chapter 2, we need to remember what we once were. And I'll tell you what, when I look at my past life, I grew up in a Christian home. But still, when I look back on my past life, I say, oh, man, Gary, you were some scumbag. You were really dead in trespasses and sins. You thought you had it made, when in reality, you were were just far from the Lord. 
and dead in your trespasses and sins. See, when I remember that, then the spiritual blessings, by contrast, are very, very, it's like a candle in the dark. The darker it is around you, the more valuable the candle becomes. Uh, I had a relative whose electricity, they had a flood in the basement, and they, they turned the electricity off, and, and uh, I have to go, had to go through the house totally dark. I mean, totally dark. And boy, that little flash, I mean, a little flashlight. That little flashlight really was important and valuable. I appreciate it so much. So much. Well, let me close with a simple illustration here. So that's what we need to do. So the big question is, what do we need to do? We need to know the hope and these other things. And we need to know how. Well, simply just get into the Word. Just... Just as Harold says, just keep reading the Word. Glean those blessings. Color code it. We'll talk about color coding again in the future. I do it from time to time. I have to, I have to color code my Bible to get out of it what I need to get out of it. But let me close with this simple illustration. Listen, if you can't get on board with every spiritual blessing out there that God is offering and providing for you. You need to analyze where you are spiritually. I, in Shelton College, and this is it, I'm just going to be an illustration and be done. Um, when I was in Shelton College, I went to a Christian liberal arts college. And uh, at that Christian liberal arts college, uh, I, I mean, I hate to say it, one of the reasons I went there is because it was at Cape May, New Jersey, and then it was three years down at Cape Canaveral, and in both cases, the men's dormitory was on the beach, right on the beach. Um, I know, I know, shouldn't have been one of my motivations. I had higher motivations. I had higher motivations. But when you go to a Christian college like that, it's expected that you're going to be part of the Christian service department. And, and I was in several Christian service departments. And one of the ones that I really liked was beach evangelism. That's where you go out and you go on the beach and you talk to people on the beach who are having all the fun in the world. Right? And one morning, one Saturday morning, I believe it was, I got up, and I went out to the beach, and I'm walking up the beach, and I see this guy's tent there. He's, tent, he's got his tent there on the beach, and outside his tent are just dozens of beer cans. I guess he would pop one open and drink it and then throw the can out the tent. So I didn't know what condition he was going to be in. He was all by himself. And he, he's, uh, he, I walk by the tent and I say something and he kind of, he kind of, he kind of acknowledges me and, and I'm trying to, I'm, here I am sharing the gospel with him and he says, and then he shuts me down and he says, listen, I, I would never become a Christian. And um, I said, you wouldn't. He said, no, I would never become a Christian because I would have to become like you and you're not having any fun. You're a Christian, and Christians don't have any fun. And what he didn't know is the night before, I believe it was the night before, we called the dining hall. We asked the dining hall to send the food down to the beach. We set up volleyball nets. We had all kinds of uh, games and, and a bonfire and a hymn sing with it, you know. We'd, you know and uh, and I, when he said, you, you know... Spiritual things don't interest me at all. 
I'm thinking, I understand where you're coming from. I understand where you're coming from. I could not win him to the Lord that day. And I don't know whatever happened to him. But the thing is that if we can't get excited about spiritual blessings, they're so connected with our physical blessings that the physical blessings don't really matter. The reason we could have so much fun at the beach was because we were right with the Lord and it was good fun. And we could have a bonfire and we could sing to the Lord's honor and glory. You see what I'm saying? But, but once again... Your, the, the, level of, the level of enjoyment that you and I have permanently in our physical blessings are a result of our spiritual demeanor, our spiritual condition. You know that to be true, right? Say amen if you know that to be true. You know there's temporary fun in sin for a season. You know that. But it's never permanent. It's never permanent. Well, that's what Paul's all about here. And I, I'm, I took too much time to do that. But nevertheless, that's a good opening to the book of Ephesians.